Alright, alright, alright. Yeah. Oh, greetings all. One, two, one, two. We in the building. One night to one people. Share, share, share. Share, share, share. Check in. Let us know where you're from. Let us know where you're from. Turn your volume down. Stan. We're not new to this. We're true to this. Okay, some feedback. Some feedback. That's me. That's me. That's you? Get it. I think it's me. It'll be me turning. It might be me. It might be me now. Okay. Okay. We're we trying to straighten out this feedback. Okay. We're going to have a phenomenal show. About to get started. Um, let's do some mic checks. Hey, everyone. Let's hear. Unmute everybody. Unmute everybody. Hello, hello. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Check in. We want to know where you're from. I'm going to get you. The engineer keep cutting me off. Mike, we live. All right, let's get going. Crack everything. I thought you left them open. Crack them. Let everybody be on. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One night, one people. Okay, greetings all, greetings all. Once again, welcome to the One Night Your Podcast. We are here, we are in the building, and we have a phenomenal guest on, and you will hear from him shortly after we do our roundtable, How Was Our Week? And then we will jump right into our guests, and um, please share the show. Uh, check in, let us know where you're from. If you're in a night of development, please check in from, let us know what development you're watching from. And if you're not a night resident, what borough? Or what state or what city? Let us know. We want to know about our viewership. We appreciate you all. And once again, thank you for tuning in to the One Night Your Podcast. So I'm going to jump in and uh, briefly talk about my week. And uh, my week was busy, busy, busy as always. Um, I'm petitioning. As you all know, I am uh, running. I'm a candidate for uh, state committee woman of the 68th Assembly District. I announced that on March 4th of this year. And um, it's I'm having fun. I'm having fun. I'm meeting okay. people. I'm uh, reconnecting with people that are willing to help um, get on the ballot. And um, I'm having fun with it. And it's exciting. And um, we're working on um, the Homes Isaac Coalition. As many of you all know, I'm a, a co-founder with Lakeisha Taylor and Jose Guevara. Uh, we're working on Friday. We're having a Women History Month celebration. Okay. And I'm not going to say, but we're honoring elected official. Um, y'all will know about that later. But um, I'm going to keep that top secret for now until the flyer comes out. And we have a nice lineup for that program, prepping on that. Um, our guest was at our um, Black History Month program, so kind of know. People know we do pretty good work. And I'm, I'm just going to give the credit to the black church because I learned a lot of organizing and how to get programs together and do things. And um, it's going to be phenomenal. We have um, some youth, some young young ladies, young girls that are going to perform and or read an essay. Um, so it's going to be really good. And we're going to honor one elected official, female, and one community member. So we're looking forward to that. Everybody can be invited. It's going to be in the Isaac Center. It starts at 530 to 7. So um, um, and other than that, um, 
I'll probably jump back in into my week, but otherwise, I'm just busy, 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 like campaigning, 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 petitioning, yep, yep, petitioning, yep, yep. petitioning. Um, but I'm I'm grateful for this opportunity, and um, I need to get on the ballot. That's all. DM me if you want to help out. Um, Money Mike. Well, um, wow, I don't think I've ever been second one. It's okay. Explaining the weeks. <laughs> usually, I could just hurry up and skip it past the you know the gas, but um. <laughs> Because, you know, my week usually always just go by smooth, like I always say. Smooth money, Mike. Money, Mike. My week always go by smooth. And to be honest, this week, I'm pretty sure I haven't actually did too much running around because I had a lot of car trouble. Okay. So, oh. I got to deal with this baby of mine. Yeah. Okay. But otherwise than that, you know, I'm like, again, once again, I was just being smooth. But... Once again, let me just get past it over the stand because you know that's the main man that sit there and do things, and him and Sandre is the busy, 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 busy. Okay, oh, absolutely. I want to give a big shout out to um, the Nitro residents from Woodside, okay. um, also Ravenswood, who made the next step after filing letters of complaint with Just Fix. Uh, they were um, able to actually go to court and file the HB actions. You know, so we filed one. Um, I got two going this week to file. And then I got two going Good. the following week. And I'm now familiar with the process. So I can actually walk them through it. And um, I think that's great that they're taking the next step to get these repairs done. This you know, class, to, a bunch of people are separate. Uh, these are separate. Individual. So okay. we're gonna have, we, we sued Queensbridge North and South. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a collective lawsuit. Right. Like uh, we are going to sue Ravenswood collectively, too. Okay. But there's some residents who are like, look, I can't wait for the collective lawsuit. I need repairs right. now. You know, so for those residents who are like, I need um, repairs, we're going to do this. And do the individual actions, but then still bring them back together mm-hmm. to have a press conference. So it's still a collective mm-hmm. uh, Ravenswood uh, movement that we do. But they want to get the work done now, you okay. know. So one of the residents, the work actually is beginning. So I'm glad to see that. And we just got to monitor NYCHA. And beyond that, um, definitely want to let folks know that we are going to be rolling out this program. And I want to name, I won't mention the name, but we do have a, a NYCHA resident. We're now looking to help purchase a home. Okay. You know, so one of the things in NYCHA is that, you know, we were never given the financial literacy when NYCHA was first created. It was mm. just created and it was not supposed to be something that we are in generationally over and over and over. You know, so one of the things that never happened was the financial literacy wasn't given. You know, so mm-hmm. folks, once you get the information, if you're paying like fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars a month living in NYCHA, mm-hmm. you can afford a mortgage, you know, right. and actually be in a better situation. So we're going to be rolling out a website soon mm-hmm. and I'll let folks know more about right. that and really help some people. As they say in the Jeffersons, move on up. Okay. I'm, I'm moving on up. So awesome. that's, that that's kind of what we like to do. And we can't we can't get away from that with the like you're saying the financial literacy without mentioning the white flight, right? Right. That actually happened. Absolutely. That black and brown people right. were not privy to. So we have to make sure we, we put that in there because right. we weren't afforded the same opportunities as others. Absolutely. And that's why it has become generational as well. Absolutely. Because those people were able to be homeowners. Um so I'm gonna set up and um I know Will. Uh, very well um, from his former um, place of employment. He did. We did great work together with Councilmember Ben Kalo. So thank you for coming on the show and just introduce yourself to our viewership. And then we're gonna do some questions and tell us about your platform as well. No, no. Thank you very much uh, for having me today. Sorry if I'm really, really loud. I'm still trying to get a, okay. a sense of this. Uh, so my name is uh, Wilfredo Lopez. My friends call me Will. So mm-hmm. hopefully after today, all of you are friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I am a candidate for the 68th Assembly District, which covers uh, part of Yorkville and uh, most of East Harlem. 
Um, okay. So, you know, uh, I can talk a little bit about the campaign, but essentially I'm running to address the issues that have been ignored for too long mm. um, and really trying to build a grassroots community based campaign to really address the problems that are affecting uh, the residents of the 68. So I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of the show. Okay. Uh, I've been tuning in uh, nice. since, you know, since you guys kicked off. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, so thank you. I, I'm a you know, real big fan and really happy to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, um, and, yeah, you can, yeah, can you say, uh, what are the, um, housing developments in your, in your district that you'll be representing? Uh, well, I'll be That's representing 20 of them. 20, um, wow. Yeah. So we, uh, the 68 has the highest concentration of NYCHA developments, uh, in New York city. Wow. Um, if you, you know, expand it a little bit further and capture all these Harlem, there are 24. Okay. Um, so I live closest to actually Sandrea, um, in Holmes Isaacs. Uh, but you can see me at Jefferson, Taft. You can see me at Carver, at Wilson, at Gaylord White. I, you know, walk Wagner, Johnson, right? Johnson. <laughs> um, even, uh, you know, you pack a five and six. Uh, so mm-hmm. if I miss one, I'm really sorry. Right. I don't have all day here to, to, yeah, to name it's all the developments. Right, but, right. Um, you know, the goal is to knock on every one of those doors. Um, I'm proud to report that as of yesterday, you know, we broke 3,800 doors. Uh, wow. So With that's, the night trip, is that? Okay, that's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, so it's a dedicated team of volunteers. Um, My knuckles are sore, but Mm. that's part of the job. I haven't Um, seen them in my development, so... Yeah, wow, that's so a lot of work. If you haven't seen me, you will. Okay, <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, okay. Will is coming to you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now, uh, now we are on this show. We are firmly against the blueprint. We're firmly against RAD. We don't. We're not for any privatization of NYCHA. Uh, we pressured the uh, state assembly to not go forward with the blueprint. Big shout out to Mike Janavis, who was a big push in that in that whole fight. Uh, was the majority leader, I believe, in, in the state senate. So, what is your position? on the blueprint and rad and what are you going to do when you get in office there? Yeah. So shout out to uh, Senator Mike Janaris, who's now our state Senator. He picked up uh, part of uh, Evadio. So he's okay. actually our new state Senator okay. for okay. the lower part of the district. Wow. Um, I have been against the blueprint since his first inception, partly because there wasn't enough um, input from residents. Uh, so this was a top down, you know, mm. you know, level down type of uh, plan. And the reality is that studies have shown that, Privatization does not work. Mm. Privatization of public housing has not worked, will not work. All it leads to is uh, more evictions and, you know, the, the further pushing out of people in the community. So uh, I'm, I'm against the, the plan as it, it currently stands, and I'm looking to uh, work with people um, and learn more about what residents actually want because what's okay. good for, you know, homes may not be good for Taft. What's good for right. Jefferson may not be good for Johnson. So the reality is that yeah. we need, you know, we need a big approach. We need a, a bold plan, but these plans need to be built in each development because the reality is every development has different needs. Sure. When everyone talks about right. NYCHA, they, 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 you know, they make it as monolith. Right. They're like, oh, everyone needs the same thing. No, <laughs> you know, True. you might be in one building and have completely different needs because you know your, your heat might be too low. But the building across the street, that he might be too high. Yeah, yeah. or even the same floor. We had a right. situation like that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the reality is that, you know, we need to move towards a system where, you know, the residents themselves have autonomy to fix these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan of building, you know, ownership within uh, public housing for yes. residents. Okay. Not Maybe not necessarily owning the unit, but 
you know, being a shareholder of the development itself, because mm-hmm. that allows you the flexibility as, as your family grows or shrinks mm-hmm. for you to be able to be more mobile within the same unit. Okay. So it's kind of like a community, uh, you know, a community ownership model. Um, so I know, you know, I'm not the first one to talk about that because mm-hmm. it's uh, something that exists um, mm-hmm. in CLTs across right, uh, New okay. York City. Um, but something, you know, to that effect, the reality is we need to do something. Okay. Um, we have got to continue to expand um, the areas of revenue. Um, I'm a big fan of you know, monetizing what we already have. We have resources. Mm-hmm. Um, every NYCHA in, in, in my district has a flat roof. Why aren't we expanding the use of solar in these developments? Okay. And that has a twofold you know, benefit towards residents. Number one, you know, it eliminates the need to pay for uh, electricity. Because you're self-sustained, you're self-sufficient. Okay. Secondly, any additional money that you know that the city can get from that, um, from the use of solar, because if there's an, uh, an influx or too much uh, energy produced, the city can sell that back mm. to the to the uh, to Con Ed. Okay. And that money should go into a lockbox for those developments. Mm. So that's an additional way of kind of monetizing something that we already had and we're not already using. So, you know, it's it's small ideas like that that Mm -hmm. can work. And anyone that says that we can't do solar in NYCHA, you Mm -hmm. just got to look at Astoria Houses. They already have solar Mm -hmm. panels in some of their buildings. This is something that can be done. We do have the right exposure. We do have the right size. um, And there is already a program in place to do this. And the best part about it is if we roll in Section 3 money, which I'm not not even going to sit here and try to mansplain that to you guys because I know you guys (laughs) are well aware of that. But we can do local hire and mm, actually, yeah. you know, build uh, more sustainability, build mm. more, um, you know, uh, resident-led uh, work. So that way we can build and have people learn a skill and mm. learn a trade that they don't already have. Right. So this is something that not only helps, you know, the people living there, but it helps the, the community as a whole. Exactly. So that's, that's some of it. And, and that's good that you brought that up because the fact that with Section 3 and hiring within the income changes, yeah. right, into the house. And, you know, they'll be paying more more rent, but that's right. fine, right? right? Because this is what public housing was made. It was supposed to be self-sufficient for in, to survive without the city, state, and federal um, funding it. Sure. So we can help bring it back if we honor and work with that. But you mentioned CLT. Can you just say what that is? Because people might yeah. not know that acronym. Yeah, so CLT stands for Community Land Trust. Okay. Um, and essentially it's a model where... Um, and I don't want to, you know, no. don't don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the NYCHA Trust. I'm right. talking about a uh, model similar to it where mm-hmm. the community itself owns the land and they own the mm-hmm. facilities. Right. But instead of having it be owned, you know, globally by NYCHA, mm-hmm. imagine, uh, you know, right. imagine in, in your development, in Isaacs and Homes, imagine owning that land yeah. and having a voice in what happens and what goes up and what doesn't go up, okay. what repairs are prioritized. Right. And that all happens at the local level. Okay. So you're no longer fearing privatization coming in because you are autonomous, you're self-sustaining, you're okay. self-governing. Now, okay. NYCHA as a whole, you know, the authority still exists, right. but they're there to help facilitate. Mm-hmm. They're there to work with you and not have you, you know, basically subsidize them. You're, you're basically their boss at that point, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That sounds about right, because sometimes when we um, want to do events in the courtyard, you know, we have to go through the paperwork, ask for permission, wait, and they, they literally let us know, 
like two or three days or sometimes that Friday for that Saturday that it's approved. Meanwhile, we already have everything taken care of. It's going anyway, right? I'm sorry. It's got, it has to happen because if we're doing a food distribution or a toy giveaway or, or something, book bag, like everything is in place, but they wait and they make us wait. And then we can't even hang up flyers in the building. You know, that has to be approved, but everybody else could come put whatever they want up you know, literature. So it would be good for us to, to have something like that. Thank you for that. You yeah, yeah, I definitely have a question. So when you say the CLT, is that, how would, how would that work when um, a resident manager corporation, would that be in conjunction with, or, and explain that, uh, how, how that could work together. So the beauty of it is you can model it however you want. Okay. So, you know, as a concept, it exists. Um, and the only thing that we're creating is the entity that, you know, that creates the trust. However you choose to manage that, whether you want to do it um, in, this, in the CRM model, you can. Um, or you can choose a completely different model. You can have it be majority rules. You can have it be you know, a tenant organization-based model. So it just gives you a lot of flexibility in how you do it. Because like I said, one system does not work for everybody. You mm. have to kind of do, you know, yeah. you might not have um, in one development the level of organization to manage that. Right. So that's, in, that's in, that, in, in that sense, you have to kind of create a model that works for that development. And okay. this gives you that kind of freedom. So the CLT model is a good model. And I, and I, and I want to stress that because I don't want anyone to be like, oh, he's looking for the trust. He's looking. No, no, no. Right. It's totally right. different. Yeah, you, bro you broke it down. Yeah, totally you broke it down. <laughs> um, but what I'm looking for, and again, haven't ironed out all, all the details because this is something that I need to work with residents in order to shape. Nice. But the reality is that I'm here to listen and I'm here to work with you. Um, and you as the global you in order to ensure that we can get, you know, something like this off the ground. The reality is no one's talking about this. Everyone is only focused on, uh, you know, and I'm talking about in terms of, you know, politicians, elected officials. They're all talking about the, the, the plans that are already, you know, mentioned. No one's talking mm. about the new plans. Right. I have not seen a single elected official talking about, well, the residents from my developments mm. say the following. Right, right, right. It's, right. I'm telling my residents X, Y, Z. Nice. So we yeah. need we, we need that to roll up. It needs to be grassroots, not grass tops. Mm. Okay. All okay. right. I'm gonna okay. jump into the chat real right. quick. Um, Emily Johnson is in the building. Joanne is in the building. <laughs> um, I think Ron is in the Ronald is in the building. But um, Emily says, uh, "God bless." Good afternoon from Carver. So she's from Carver Houses. She said, "Mine's neither," but I don't know what she was referring to because I just looked at she also said I agree Mr. Lopez so <laughs> whatever that is she was saying because I didn't get to it um, um, yes and then she says yes permits through PSA 5 community board 11 and a bunch of red tape yeah uh, yeah I agree with that um, I, I want to just ask you um, can you tell us about maybe your educational background and your professional background so yeah. we know who you are a little more. Yeah, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a product of, you know, a broken school system. Um, okay. And like many of us, uh, I had to navigate that for parents who didn't speak the language. You know, my parents came here from Puerto Rico and, okay. um, you know, they, I attended public school for four days. Um, my parents were, you know, not, you know, the, the public schools where we lived in, in Puerto Rico were not up to par. So they put me in parochial school. So I went to okay. parochial school my entire career. Wow. Um, not to say that I'm not pro public schools. I think that our public schools need to be the best funded ones in the world, yeah. and they need to be the the best managed ones. Um, but you know, I am a product of that. Um, I went to college, the first person in my family to go to college. I'm the youngest of eight kids. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, first person. <laughs> so I went to um, college at the Holy Cross in Massachusetts, uh, where I majored in political science. Yeah. Um, and I also studied, uh, you know, political economy and uh, Mandarin Chinese. Okay. The Chinese I didn't keep up with. So unfortunately, it's uh, it's terrible right now. But okay. um, and then um, I worked in retail following school. So okay. I went to retail for 10 years at Best Buy. And I'm not ashamed mm-hmm. to say that. The okay. reason why is I graduated in 2003 in one of the worst job markets. Mm-hmm. We were post dot-com bubble, we were post 9-11. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't much, you know, there wasn't much work to be found if you right. were a Latino who studied political science. Maybe I should have picked up a better uh, major, but it's right. what I was really interested in. So for 10 years, um, I started, you know, stocking shelves and working my way up to being a general manager. Come on now. That's good. Give some. Come on now. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, I went to the corporate offices where um, I was a national trainer both here in the U.S. and in Mexico. Wow. So I grand opened, uh, you know, six stores in Mexico um, all over. I grand opened four stores in Puerto Rico um, and trained about, you know, 52 thousand or so mm. uh, employees over the course of my career there wow. um and about uh in 2013 i i'd always want to go to law school but it was always out of reach um and part of it was because i had to work to su- sustain and uh um support my my parents i had you know parents that were well into their 70s my dad was already in his 90s wow. dealing with a lot of health issues um and i you know i was working to help support them so um my dad passed away unfortunately in, in 2013 Sorry. and um at that point i kind of had the ability to go chase my dream okay so mm-hmm. thank uh you know I, I thank the lord every day because my wife was a, a a strong supporter of that she was like look i can carry us i can do this all right go follow your dream Nice. So I That's went good. to law school um, at 33 years old, mm-hmm. um, and I studied law, and I focused on immigration uh, and criminal law. Mm. Oh, wow. So those okay. are two All right. Lawyers in the house. We got a lawyer in the house. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, post-law uh, school, um, I worked first as an immigration defense attorney for a, a, a small amount of time, and then I worked at, at Progressive DA's office. Um, and mm. you know, I, I don't like the term prosecutor, but I was a prosecutor and okay. I worked at, in, um, in the Brooklyn DA's office under the, uh, the leadership of the late Ken Thompson. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. And, wow. And, and mm-hmm. Unfortunately he passed yeah. away, um, yeah. midway through my first year. Um, and then I was under the you know, leadership of Ms. Gonzalez, which for me, you know, I went from working you know, for the first, you know, black in uh, in New York to working for the first Puerto Rican. Um, and being a proud Puerto Rican for me, that was like amazing because right. I had an, an, an opportunity to finally look at someone and be like, wow, you know, I'm like you. You look like me. It's, right. you know, their representation really matters. Um, but the reality is when I got there, I was frustrated because, you know, I, again, I don't need to, to, to explain this too much, but live in a in a world where the criminal legal system is inherently racist yeah yeah and no yes. matter how much you try to mm-hmm. change that system from the inside the system is not made to change yeah. so i was frustrated i became more and more frustrated i started getting myself into good trouble 
Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, yeah. Okay. Like that. You know, you, know <laughs> you, you start dismissing cases that just don't make sense mm-hmm. from a justice point of view when mm. you're criminalizing poverty. Come um, on. You know, when you're criminalizing, you know, people who are shouldn't be part of the criminal legal system. They should be part of the mental health system. Mm. Right. You know, yeah. okay. mm-hmm. we can't keep criminalizing mental health. We can't keep criminalizing poverty. Uh, so I was frustrated, so I left. And I went to work um, at city council because the way I figured is, you know what, let me start working on the policies that lead to these results and maybe wow. we can change the policies. So that's why I, I went to work um, mm-hmm. for council member, former council member Ben Kalos, mm-hmm. uh, who represented the Upper East Side, Yorkville, and a small part of El Barrio. And that's when I started working, you know, in East Harlem um, and working with great leaders like Sandra Coleman and and others. Um, And that's where I kind of got a sense of the bigger systemic issues Mm -hmm. that permeate not just the criminal legal system, but permeate through our societies, permeate through um, our neighborhoods. And, you know, I realized I have a duty and obligation to do something about it. Wow. That's a very powerful answer. Um, I know in the um, Upper East Side, there's... um, a homeless issue, and I know there's um, also a drug issue, but also a mental health issue, you know, and I know there's also, uh, it's hard to get mental health services. There's like a backlog, a waiting list, all of this. So how are you, what could you do from your position to address that so people can actually get the mental health that they need to get? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm the proud husband of a mental health professional. My uh, my wife, Louisa, wow. who's uh, watching at home. Okay, hey. Uh, she is a uh, mental health, she's a social worker. And okay. uh, she works uh, actually in the community for the Urban Outreach Center, UOC, um, oh, okay. as their director of uh, social services. And the reality is that you're right. There is a, a lack of a availability of uh, mental health. Yeah. Um, there are waiting lists. And the reality is because we're not funding it. We're, we are we are doing everything in our power to fund everything except what we need most, which is mental health services. Mm. You talked about homelessness. You talked about the, the drug issues. Um, all these are mental health related. Yeah. You know, the reality is when we look at the homelessness issue, um, there are approximately between 60 and 70,000 homeless individuals um, in New York City. Out of a city of you know, over 8 million, you know, 60, 65,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but mm. it's a lot because... Um, one person being unhoused is too much. Yeah, right, definitely. Right, right. And then when you look at the fact that our vacancy, our apartment vacancies mm. are more than double that in many areas, yeah. we, we are choosing to keep people unhoused mm-hmm. because we have yeah. the ability to house every New Yorker that needs a home. And when we are looking at that, we can't just, you know, and you talked about this earlier, uh, Sandrea, where, you know, people were, were put into public housing they're not giving the tools they right. need to really, you know, uh, succeed. If we are to um, provide housing for everybody, we have to understand that we got to meet people where they are. And there are going to be some people who don't aren't ready to be independent on their own. So for those folks, that small subset, we need to build supportive housing and have housing with all the resources they need in-house. So that way mm. they don't have to travel to see their, their mental health professional. They don't have to travel to get medical care. Right. They don't have to travel... Um, to get get treatment in their homes. But for the large majority of the unhoused, which are families, you know, we have yeah. a large number of children. They need housing. They need housing now. And we have the ability to do that today. We just choose not to. Right. And the reality is we are paying between $4,000 and $6,000 a month per person mm. yes, indeed. to keep them in congregate shelters, which are unsafe. Yeah. They're, you know... They're not, they have no dignity. They have no privacy. 
The yeah. average rent in Manhattan Come on. is 3300 bucks for a one-bedroom. Yeah. You know, and, they can have their own. It's, it's Andrea and I have seen <laughs> one-bedrooms that are $4,000 right. yeah. in our neighborhood. Sure. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, and the reality is that we can take that money, guaranteed. My goal would be this. Make New York City, the municipality, the largest renter mm. in the world. If okay. there is a vacant apartment that is vacant for more than a period of time, let's say six months, the city then has the right to enter into an agreement with that landlord, pay them market rate rent. Okay. So they're going to get their full money. What do they give up uh, for that? Well, they give up the right to care about who's living there. Right. Because the reality is the vouchers are great, but as we've seen, there is discrimination for, for the yeah. use of vouchers. Right. Definitely. And, and most people, our landlords don't even want to take them because they don't pay enough. Okay. Amen. So now, so now we, you know, we give them the market rent, uh, rent rate, whatever that is for the area, and that money that we're saving, you know, not paying, you know, the, you know, for the shelters, we can get those shelter providers to now provide services. We can use that money to help them get stabilized, and then as time goes on and people get stabilized and people are working and become more self-sufficient, we can cut back the aid. And roll that money into the additional services yeah. and eventually make them self-sufficient. There's going to be a small number of people that will never get to that point. Those people, guess what? We own that. We, you know, we, we have an obligation to continue to take care of them and making sure that they're safe and they have mm -hmm. a home and they're able to live where they, li you know, where they live, where they grew up mm -hmm. forever. And that's going to, over the long run, that will save us money. And that money can be used to take care of the other problems that we are continuing to ignore so yeah. you know when we talk about the the drug issue mm -hmm. um you know a lot of that has to do a lot of that's concentrated in the 68th because we have an oversaturation problem we have the most um so you know people throw around a lot of st statistics and i, I don't like to throw out numbers because mm -hmm. people fall asleep um, but the reality <laughs> is if you look at harlem in, in east harlem mm -hmm. we have four percent of the population but we're carrying 20 percent of the capacity of treatment centers mm. for the entire city of new york and then the worst part about it is only 6% of the people getting treated in East Harlem mm -hmm. live in East Harlem. 94% yeah. of the people who come in for treatment are coming in from everywhere else. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds backwards. But the opioid crisis and substance use disorder issues are not only in East Harlem. Right. 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 There isn't a single community that is not affected by this. Right. Facts. So when people talk about fair share, that's what we're talking about. We're talking right. about, you know what? Studies have shown that if you travel more than one mile for treatment, you have a 50% chance of failing in treatment. Mm. Why are we making people come from Staten Island into East Harlem? Why are we making people come from Washington Heights or mm. the Upper West Side or the Lower East Side for treatment in East Harlem? And if we are doing that, if we are making it the, the focal point where all treatment is going to happen, then give us the resources to be able to take care of, you know, the, the issues yeah. that, that come around it. Right. We need those wraparound services. We need the ability to give people something else to do after right. getting treated. Right. If, right. You, if sure. you walk 125th Street at 11, 11 a.m. every morning, you will see people coming out of treatment and mm -hmm. have nothing to do. Yeah. And yeah. what does that do? That attracts the people who want to pray on these, you know, yeah. on these individuals, you know, that's where the drugs come in. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a drug dealer, you go where, where the demand is. Yeah. And if yeah. the demand is where the people are the most vulnerable, that's where they go. And yeah. unfortunately, that we're setting people up to fail. And I am sick and tired of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I um, I just want to stand 
Because um, when you said Upper East Side, did you mean in Hall- East Harlem or something? East Harlem, like that? yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. To say, yeah, I want to make sure. Okay, okay. Because so, I, you know, but um, I also then I want to just jump to Mr. Will. Um, just hearing your commentary about your life. Are you considering writing a book? Because you should. No, seriously. I was just. I'm a visionary, so when I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm traveling, I'm hearing it, and it, it's a success story. So please put that in, if you got a bucket list or on your list, write a book, because it's very inspiring. Well, to be your life is very inspiring. I think once we solve these issues, okay. then I think I'll take the time to... Okay, to <laughs> okay, okay. But even from the beginning to where you start, I mean, it's just, it's really good. It's a good success story. Okay. I got a question. So now, in the plan that you, that you put out, the people that you're going to be fighting against that is probably the real estate folks. Who um, really don't care, you know, and they profit mm-hmm. from this um, homelessness and the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. So I got a two-part question: Are you receiving any funding from real estate developers and those types? And um, how do, how would you fight against that? Because they benefit from homelessness. They they they're profiting. They're making money throughout this whole system. So. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, in terms of funding, I'm being incredibly ethical in terms of where my my funding comes from. Um, So I am not taking big real estate money, and I'm going to couch that because there are, you know, if you own a building, you are a real estate owner, but that is very different from being, you know, a conglomerate owner who owns, like, you know, half of New York City. Those people, no. If you're a small homeowner and you live in the community and you're doing good for the community, you're a good homeowner. Yeah, I'll take I'll take uh, I'll That's take fair. a, a, a donation okay. from them mm-hmm. because they're invested in the community. But on the same token, I've turned down. There have been large real estate owners here in East Harlem uh, who will go unnamed who have tried to you know buy me off. They're like, hey, wow, you know, I know we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, but how about a contribution to your campaign? And I tell mm. them straight up, wow, I'm like. I'm like you know, why don't you take that money and use it to fix you know what you're supposed to be fixing? That forty seven hundred dollars mm. go a long way in a lot of these departments. Exactly. And that's really, you know, the way I look at it. Um, you know, to answer the second part of the question, do they benefit from homelessness? Absolutely, because if they create a uh, a market where everyone's like, Oh, we don't have enough homes. Mm-hmm. Look, we don't have enough homes, that's why people are homeless. Right. Oh, and we need to build more, we need to just the reality is that's not the those aren't the facts. So they're, they're inflating the price of, of, of housing. Um, we always talk about affordable housing, and that is the most misused term ever because it's only mm. affordable if you make a certain amount of money. It's not right, affordable. Right. It's affordable affordable for who, right? right. That's what right. we always say. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and that's a, a separate issue that I also want to address. You know, I want to work towards, and this is going to take federal help, mm. but we need people advocating for this. I would love to carve out New York City from the AMI calculations. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, my, that's my follow-up question. Go ahead, brother. Area medium yeah, yeah, income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, explain that. Explain you know, that for folks. So area median income is the, um, how, you know, the uh, housing and urban development and the government calculate what, you know, housing should cost in your area. The problem is that, you know, when you live in New York City, specifically in the 6-8, where you're in um, zip codes, you know, 129 and 135, your area income is like $35,000 a year. Right. That's the average right. income in East okay. Harlem. But then you go south to 101, 28, and that's a, you know, not to blow up the, the folks in, in the Upper East Side, but 
in 10128, the area median income is over $100,000. Right. So then when you add the two together, and again, the area income that we're talking about encompasses Westchester, right. encompasses right. Yep. Island. Speak on it. It mm-hmm. encompasses, you know, all It's not fair. City. It's yeah. not right. So when they're calculating these uh, AMIs for new development, say, you know, I live in, in, in stabilized housing, um, you know, not too far from Sandrea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I work for the government. I'm not wealthy. Okay. Um, you know, right now I'm unemployed because I'm <laughs> working, doing this full time. My, my job is working in the community full time, and that's not a high paying job. Um, but, you know, my wife and I, in comparison to our neighbors, you know, make enough to afford a stabilized apartment. Yeah. But that's fifty percent of our income, right? Uh-huh. Right. You know, you're, that's you're, a hit. You're yeah. you're red burdened at thirty thirty percent. Absolutely. We're paying half our our income right. in rent, which is you know we're blessed that it's only the two of us and we we live you know as humbly as possible. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that for many you know folks in in our community, they don't have that. They don't have you know it's it's immoral to have people choose between housing. And healthcare, yeah, right, definitely. Um, you know, definitely. or or housing, education, and childcare. You know, wow. the, the, these are things that should not be choices. They should be, you know, something that every uh, every working person or every person who is on a fixed income should be able to afford comfortably. Right. So, I would love to build a system where we can carve out, uh, not use the HUD calculations, but calculate it based on our community. So Makes whether sense. that be, you know, the community Makes board, whether that be by zip code, whatever that is. But the reality is that doing that will lead to more equitable housing and truly affordable housing. Because, mm. you know, at $35,000 a year at 100%, your rent should be about eight to $900. Right. Which is still, yeah. I think, too high in, yeah. in, in, in my neighborhood. But the reality is that that's the levels that we should be talking about. I hate seeing when they are advertising 165% AMI. Right. Like now you're talking about three thousand dollars a month for what? Right. right. For right. one bedroom? Right. That's not fair. Right. Right. So. so let me kick a question to you. <clears throat> um I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Uh say you become the next assembly member of the sixty eighth assembly district. Um in the six eight where I live, on the up east side as well. Um are there committees? Are there committees in the assembly? Uh, the assembly, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, hypothetically, what two committees would you want to, would like to be on? And is there a bill in the back of your head or in your mind you might want to work on? Um, I'll answer the second question first. Okay. <laughs> um, there aren't, there isn't just one bill. Right. I okay. literally have hundreds of ideas Amazing. That, you know, that I can work on. And, you know, um, when, I, when I worked at a city council, I was very blessed to work for a very good legislator. And I managed to, to write and pass over 20 pieces of legislation wow. in four years, which is a very difficult thing to do. So I had the experience to be able to do that kind of work. Um, but anytime I get an idea, I'll have a conversation, I'll jot it down, and I'll start looking at it and doing the research and figure out, is there something we can legislate or is it something that we can change a policy? You know, my, one of my mentors used to always say, the worst thing I could do is write a law because that takes too long to change the problem. If yeah. I could solve your problem today... Amen. Let's solve, let's solve that problem. Okay. But yeah, there are a lot of bills I want to work on. Nice. To answer the second question, the one committee that I am, you know, this is a campaign promise, and I understand that I don't have full control of this because I'm at the mercy of, you know, the uh, the, the leadership. Speaking. Um, you know, mm-hmm. But the one committee I would advocate for to be on is the addictions committee. Okay. And the reason okay. why is because 
we have not had a single elected official at the state level from East Harlem part of that committee. Mm. Okay. You know, we have plenty of people who, who have served on the mental health committee, and that's great. We need that. But if you have an issue with you know, oversaturation and you have issues with addiction problems in your community, you need to be on the community to advocate, you know, yeah. and the committee to advocate for those changes. That's awesome. And the reality is we've not had, we, our voices have not been heard in those committees. So that's, that's a campaign promise. You can write that, put it on the button, <laughs> and hold it Put a pin you. in it. You know, okay. um, okay. you know the, the second uh, committee, um, you know, obviously with the large number of public housing developments that we have in 6-8, um, would be to serve on the, you know, housing committee, housing okay. buildings, um, and the subcommittee that you know, focuses on, on public housing specifically, because I need to be a voice for my residents, mm. and if a large majority of my residents live in public housing, then I have to be that voice for them. I need to be in the room when decisions are being made. Gotcha. So, so I got a, a follow-up question. Yeah. So now, in dealing with NYCHA, uh, one of the major issues is that they consider NYCHA to be some sort of city agency, um, HPD and NYCHA, I mean, some sort of covenant. You know, they don't enforce NYCHA to do the repairs. Um, I think that's totally wrong. And so what, what can a state assembly member do to eradicate that situation? Because that's why repairs are not getting done. If I go to court and my judge says, you got to do this, but HPD doesn't really do it, then we're going around in a circle. So how do, we, how, do we, how do we change that? Unfortunately, one of the biggest injustices that have happened to uh, public housing residents, NYCHA residents, is a memo that was written in 1989. And that memo, uh, and this was following the charter revision that happened in 1989 and going into the Dinkins administration, um, they basically carved out, you know, agencies at the city level, which the city council didn't have direct oversight over. Mm. And some of those were like the Department of Education, the, not, the New York Housing Authority. Um, you had the uh, EDC, the uh, uh Economic development. Right, you know, another one of those agencies. Yep. Mm-hmm. So these, they were created to be like quasi-state agencies. And the reason I did that is to eliminate the ability for the city council to have real oversight, but also to punt this over to Albany, where in the assembly, you're one of 150 members, and you have to make decisions that affect the entire state. So and then when you look at the funding... The funding comes from the federal government. It comes, you know, not so much from the state government anymore because the state budget hasn't really uh, done much for public housing. Um, And it comes from the city. So what I can do in the assembly is try to change um, the way these policies are being crafted and put together and try to, you know, put the focus so we can actually address these issues at the local level. So a lot of that has to do with how the, you know, the money flows. Um, how the municipalities, how the budgets are broken up into and advocate for the fact that since we have the highest number of housing developments as a city compared to the rest of the state, then the bulk of that funding should go, you know, to to that municipality. Um, And on on top of that is changing the laws that are holding us back from being able to do a lot of the emergency repairs. A lot of that stuff is being, you know, controlled by regulations that don't make sense. They made sense in the 1970s, but they don't make sense today. So we really need to kind of take, you know, pen to paper, start, you know, uh, you know, circling the regulations that need to move, change, or the regulations we need in order to make those changes happen. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. 
I'm ready for a question now. Another one. So we know the eviction moratorium has been lifted. And I'm focusing on NYCHA residents. ERAP. Oh, yes. Another Emergency yeah. Rental Assistance Program. Assistance Program. Uh, a lot of NYCHA residents were told in tenant association meetings why management was there from their TA presidents, giving them out, telling them to apply for the ERAP. They're still waiting. Funding has, to my understanding, been dispersed. Is there another windfall coming in? Um, I understand, too, public assistance is telling people still to apply for ERAP. So people are in limbo, and I'm asking this for one of your potential constituents, Mr. Poole, I'll say that, because um, he's very concerned as well as others. Like, you know, he just feels as well as other people. Like, um, you know, a lot of NYCHA residents have um, received the shaft on this but they're telling them to apply, but then it doesn't really exist for them. So, you know, can you speak to that? Do you have any yeah. um, idea? A, a lot of these issues are based on the fact that we're waiting on federal funding. Okay. Um, so not only through the infrastructure bill, but also through other emergency, um, uh, emergency bills that were passed to fund these programs. Okay. So the state right now is trying to build a, a pool of need to show the federal government, look, we need this money and we need it in an emergency in order to fund for these programs. So if the program is still open, I still encourage people to apply, even though the money has not been dispersed in the quantities that we need, but you need to build a paper trail. The reality is that um, letting the eviction moratorium lapse mm -hmm. is, you know, was a mistake. We, okay. had to, we have got to really have compassion for both the, Tenants that are, you know, dealing with loss of income, uh, loss of, you know, health. Because a lot of times these are health-based uh, issues. Right. Um, and we also did nothing, absolutely nothing, to help those small landlords yeah. who are, you know, in, yeah. in, in our community. And Sandrea knows some, you know, some folks. I know some folks um, where they're, you know, they're doing everything in their power to keep the people who are living in, uh, you know, in the apartments there because they're part of the family, part of the community, and we completely ignored them. So when we're talking about, you know, this rental assistance program, it, it, it of course, is going to help folks in, in public housing in NYCHA, but it also helps everyone else in the community because yeah. we can't afford, like, you know, we can't afford to continue to lose the one resource that we can't make more of, which is our neighbors, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, as, they, as people leave, People come in and they might have a different view of what things you know need to mm -hmm. be worked on. The priorities may change. Right. Um, we need to keep you know folks in their homes. Exactly. That has to be like the first and most primary uh, function of government is keeping people in their homes. Right. So when we're talking about those uh, you know that funding, we need the government to step. We need the federal government to step up. Okay. Um, trust me. I, you know, whenever I see our you know our congresswoman or. Our congressman, mm -hmm. you know, so we have Carolyn Maloney right. and Adriano Espaillat. That you know, that's always the topic of conversation. Like okay. we need, we need, we need for we need more funds. And I'm not the only one saying it. We're yeah. all saying it. Right. Where's the money? Right. And they're frustrated too because they're fighting. You know, at the congressional level. Right. You know, the senators are fighting at the Senate level. Right. And you know, it all sits you know on uh, you know President Joe Biden's lap right now. Mm. But he's fighting against forces. You know, mm -hmm. that, are, that are larger right. and more sinister. Uh, we have a, a still a very strong Republican Congress. Yeah. Even though they're not the majority, they're holding up a lot of that, that funding. So That's we true. need yeah. to keep fighting that. Yeah, we really need help with that because 
the unhoused population is already huge. And if evictions take place, it's going to be exacerbated. You see the effects now and the change. You can't ride the trains. It's it's unacceptable. It's not that we can't ride the trains. I mean, mean, they're there, but I mean, they're they're our neighbors. They're they're people. So, you know, it's not even that, but they feel safer. That's the problem. They feel safer in the subway. They feel safer in the street. And people complain, but try living in a shelter, right, you no, know. When I was true. in Nyack Alliance Theological Seminary, one of my colleagues in the class was in a shelter told, telling me horror stories, and she was a veteran. You know, I won't disclose her name, but she did get a ho- her, house of, her housing eventually, but it was traumatizing, you know. So just to hear that from a former veteran that unha- was unhoused at that time, how traumatic it was, you know, but... Some people will go in, but some people rather be out on the yeah. street. Yeah. And, and that, that speaks volumes. And if, if anyone thinks that they're above this issue, right? Oh, no. We are one or two paychecks, all of us, away from being homeless. I and always say a step away, yeah. Just, yeah, you know, one paycheck, yeah, step away, yeah. You know, like, and, and that's it the reality. Happen. And we have to start having that compassionate conversation about the fact that you might be all right today. Right. You don't, don't know, know what tomorrow, tomorrow brings. Life happens. Life happens. I want to just also jump in. I'm sorry, Stan, and then you could go. Um, clean state, clean slate. The clean slate, New York. You, you're not familiar with that campaign, yep. so um, you probably know. I sit on Community Board Eight Social Justice Committee. We're having Marvin. Oh gosh, I see his last name. He's Marvin Mayfield. Mm-hmm. He's going to come in and speak about that. Um, we had him on our show before. We were trying to push it. You know, give it some exposure on this show before um, it didn't pass the um, through. Um, I think it was June 10th. It yeah. might have been June 10th, the last legislative legislative session at that time. Um, how do you feel about that bill? That's you know, I believe it's what Assembly and Senate bill. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about it? Do you support it? Um, what could we do as people to? And, and you, if you want to explain it, I don't have to. If yeah. you're familiar, but what could we do as people to? help steer that in the right direction because a lot of people come home they have these records they can't find employment they have this skill when they're up top as i say in, incarcerated in, in these state prisons they don't leave with a carpentry carpenter uh certificate they don't leave with things these the tools that they learned to work that prison labor they could come out and really hold a good job as well so what could we do because i really care about the people there as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we often forget that in, in the 68th, you know, we do have a significant population of people that are injustice impacted or uh, formerly incarcerated. And what do we do? What are we doing for them? Reentry is not easy. Right. This is something that I've dealt with, you know, um, with my family. Um, I also have very close friends and people who I consider my close advisors. Um, you know, some of you may know. Uh, Professor Terrence Coffey, who is, you know, formerly incarcerated, who um, really worked hard to, you know, get educated while he was in prison. He went to jail very, very young, mm-hmm. um, came out with a you know, college degree, went and actually was a classmate of my wife's at NYU's mm. from nice. school. Nice. Nice. Awesome. And now he's doing a lot of the work uh, to help folks reenter. He just founded the uh, Social Justice Network. Uh, he had me on, uh, on on his podcast, his coffee time. Not that I'm advertising for him. <laughs> okay, I like that. I like that. You know, we talked about this, and the reality is, you know, people make mistakes, and everyone's mm-hmm. entitled to a second shot, um, a third shot, a fourth shot. They need it, um, but the reality is, we can't keep you know criminalizing people 
based exactly. on you know, previous uh, actions. Exactly. And we need to uh, create a system where people can come home and they've paid a debt to society and they can move on and they can continue to prosper. The reality is when we make it so difficult for people to reenter, we make it difficult for people to actually work. Yeah. What we're doing is we're pushing them to become recidivists. Yeah. Right. And right. when we look at recidivism rates, the number one reason why is because can't find a job. Yeah. So in our district, we actually have one, a, a great organization, Exodus. Okay. And Exodus works specifically with this uh, population, the reentry population. Okay. And they offer everything from you know mental health counseling to job training to the what they consider gap training. Okay. A lot of times people come out, they may have a skill, but they may not be able to talk to someone in an interview and mm-hmm. be able to articulate you know, what skills they have because they've never interviewed before. It's like right. soft skills. They teach that. They focus on that. Nice. They treat you as a human being, um, and they try to lift you up. And mm. they will find you a job. If you want a job, they will Beautiful. find you a job. They work with people. But it would be a lot easier for them if Clean Slate passed. Because what okay. Clean Slate does is once you pay your debt to society, that's it. That's right. not going to be held against you <laughs> on you know it, when it comes to work, when it comes to uh, housing, when it comes mm. to education. Right. We're no longer looking at that piece of it right. because the reality is Clean you're done. That's you, good. You paid your debt. Now, if you don't use that opportunity for something, Know, that's productive that will still be there the the judges will still be able to see that in, in case that happens but the hope is that because you have the ability to get a job to get a career you won't you know you won't be a recidivist you'll right. actually be a, a productive member of, of society you'll be able to work you'll have dignity right. and you won't ever have to walk around with that yoke that you know so many folks who are just impacted have to walk around with yeah which is i have a record Right. And that's the worst, you know, that's the worst feeling for, for folks. So I am uh, fully in support of it. I'm okay. also in support of a lot of the, you know, elder parole um, yes. bills, the bills that will, you know, give compassionate release yes. to folks who are, have been there for a long time. Because right. the reality is studies don't lie. The numbers don't lie. You know, folks that are over 50 that are, you know, that have been um, in prison are not recidivists. They come mm. out. They want to get on right. with their lives. They want to, right. you know, you know, make up for the years they've lost. And we have got to give them that opportunity. We right. have to be compassionate yeah. in those situations. Um, the reality is, regardless, you know, of, of what they did in their past, right. if they're showing um, growth and they're showing their their willingness to, you know, uh, work for their, um, you know, for their freedom, they should be they should be granted. So excellent. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of those bills. If you can offline connect me with. Um, I'm familiar with Elder Parole because I follow them as well on Twitter and stuff like that. But um, you mentioned Exodus, Exodus yeah. and I think you mentioned another one. Um, connect me with them because um, we have we closed down the Up East Side for Black Lives Matter 507 days. So we actually, um, I started um, UES for BLM Working Group. So we want to bring on once a month different initiatives and see how we can help Um yeah. In the communities and stuff like that, and showcase it. And Exodus just opened up a new facility um, yeah. in order to create training opportunities. And Beautiful. you know, when we talk about job training, a lot of times what we think about is manual labor. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are coming out. A lot of the sisters and brothers are coming out. Um, want to work in new media. 
They want to yeah. do things like podcasts. They want to do right. music. They want right. to do, right. you know, yep. or, or even get their barbershop license, you know, right. so they can, so they can Some of them are A1 barbers inside. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Exodus opened up a new facility on 124th Street okay. where there's a music studio. There's mm. a, there's oh, a, there's a, a digital media studio. And there's a barbershop downstairs. And, you know, wow. they're going to be working to train people in this new media because the reality is the days of a nine to five job are over. It's right. all about, you know, taking your skills and monetizing them in a positive way right you know that 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 hustle you know mm -hmm. that 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 you know, that type of work mm -hmm. has shown it will yeah. pay it's a new economy and we need yeah. to start preparing you know folks in our community to so engage true. with it so true and one thing you mentioned about the barber and then i'm sorry mm -hmm. Dan, i don't know if you was about to jump in a lot of men that come out that was incarcerated and they were barbers inside a1 barbers at that they they find work Right. They find work. They're, they're the ones that really can get a job and hold a job. But the other ones that made from the core, you know, all these core craft products that people I tell you all about, you know, the, the soap and the scrubs and the, even the New York State sanitizer, right, that I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I was told they can't even use it. They make it, but they can't use it. I mean, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I got a question. I, I was actually on a call with, with Mike and I was in uh, Marquise from Residential Preserve Public Housing, Kristen Hackett. And uh, one of the major issues that he was frustrated with, and hopefully maybe we can do something about it, is where does the money that Knights have received actually go? And it was very frustrating that him in his position, and I spoke with Callum Maloney in her position, and they all say the same thing. And so isn't that a crime that if we're giving somebody money and they're supposed to do something with it, and the money disappears, and what they're supposed to do mm -hmm. doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. Isn't isn't that crime and stealing? And shouldn't people go to jail if this is happening? I mean, so a lot of it has to do with the bureaucracy that exists within NYCHA. And look, I, I I work very closely with a lot of folks at NYCHA, and I have nothing but love for the work they're doing because a lot of them are doing good work. Right. But it's the system that they're working in that is failing them. It's not mm. the individuals; it's the system. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, um, my former uh, employer gave you know um, homes money for security cameras, cameras mm -hmm. and, and lights, and that money has been sitting in an account for four years, waiting yes, for what? Homes town. And yeah. we were pushing, calling. I mean, the, the the poor folks that I had to call every every single month for trying it's to true. get this money released. And of course, you know, when you go and you talk to the residents, they don't know and they don't care about that because they shouldn't. That's right. not their problem. Right. They, they're like, where are my lights? Where are my cameras? Right. And I'm like, I'm working on it. Uh, but there is like a, uh, a roll of red tape a mile long and a mm -hmm. mile wide that people have to cut through to get those checks cut in order to get the work done. So a lot of that, that's where the money, the money is just literally sitting yep. or the money is going into, you know, being thrown into know losing situations you know they keep patching the same boilers right right yeah some of the boilers may be working but the the actual blowers that you know that that actually um you know uh push the the heat and hot water up aren't working the pumps but they keep you know throwing money into it instead of replacing them yeah exactly. so it's like i'd rather pay we the money that. i'd rather pay the money right to fix it right 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 and keep spending nickel and dime here and there mm -hmm in order to just keep dealing with the same issue. It's like having an old, you know, an old car and you just keep right. throwing money into it. Yeah. It's you're wasting money. There's exactly. so much waste that happens. And the reason why that is is because as residents, you don't have the autonomy to be like, nah, enough. That's right. done. Let's do, let, let's do it the right way. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it costs, let's move forward because 
in the long run, that'll save me money. In the long yeah. run, that'll actually give me results. Wow. wow. Yeah. And NYCHA won't fix the heat issues in the summer when they probably is the best time to do right, it, right? Right, right, yeah. right. You know, they wait till you're freezing cold again and, and you just don't have any heat that or too much heat. My mind. It's ridiculous. That, it's ridiculous. That, that is the epitome of maintenance. Yeah. Right? You don't maintain right. something when it's broken. You maintain it before it breaks. Right, right, right. right and they right. can afford to replace the boilers, put new boilers in. They yeah. can. For yeah. the developments that really need it, they can. You know, because we've had inspections. You know, we sued. Yeah. So we've had several inspections, and we found out this and that. What's wrong with our boilers? What's wrong with the elevators? Which the elevators are about six years old. Yeah. Why are they constantly breaking down? You cannot make this up. Yeah. So, and, and, and even worse, like even with the boiler problem, they'll pay a company to put in a temporary boiler. You, mm. We see it outside. All the time. You know, the, even the, in private buildings, yeah. yeah. The, the, they'll pay for those, mm -hmm. you know, but they won't pay to actually fix the problem. Yeah. So is it possible to create, I'm saying from an assembly member's standpoint, is it possible to create something where NYCHA residents have some sort of say-so and monitoring ability to monitor where this money goes to some sort of oversight so they can actually go where it's supposed to go? You know, I, I don't know for sure. And the reason I, I'm, I'm going to be careful about answering that because I haven't done the research to see if that's actually an issue. And that's going to be yeah. something I'm going to write down today Fair. and I'm going to look into and I'm okay. going to get that answer. All right. Okay. But here's what I do love about that is who should NYCHA be responsible to? Who should have the oversight? It shouldn't be the elected officials. Right. It's the people who they're serving. It's right. you, the residents. Right. Look, you know, when I'm elected, because I like to think positive. All right, now. You know, <laughs> when I'm elected, I am ultimately accountable to the people of the 68th. Right. So they have the authority to kick me out of office by not voting for me for re-election. That's right. And right. the reality is, you as residents, I mean, that in the global you, you as residents don't have that power. If you're unhappy with you know what Chair Russ is doing, what can you do? You can't exactly. right. Right. You know, you, you protest some that's it. Yeah, mm -hmm. like you know, and 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 that has its place, and and, and you should continue to use the you know protest when necessary and fight when necessary. But where is the oversight to the people you're responsible for? Yeah, it's not there. So I would love to work on something like that. That actually. Nice. You know, I got I got the goosebumps, and usually that's a good sign of a good idea. So I okay. appreciate right, it. Right, right. there to give you an idea. Are we gonna follow up? Yeah, that's, that's, that's I'm gonna throw up. one last question for me before we end, and if Sam has another one, because we're about to wind down. Um, when our former, she's the Secretary of State now, Robert Rodriguez, was our Assembly member, I sat on an advisory board with him uh, for NYCHA residents. Mm -hmm. And I know he had a, a bill he was trying to pass that really didn't go anywhere. Sadly, I, I don't I don't know where is it now. Whoever um, co-sponsored it with him, uh, would you be willing if you was an assembly member to um, gather some leaders? Because I'm not a resident council president, so it was a mix. It had some council presidents, it had some people that were leaders like myself. Um, would you be willing to form some type of uh, advisory board like that? Yeah. Uh, something model, something similar to that. Again, so one of my really good friends and mentors, um, I'm going to give her a shout out. Her name's Nancy Ortiz. She's okay. from Vladic Houses. You know, I think I know who she is. Yeah, yeah she, she's a long time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, TA leader. And she's been, you know, one of the people that when I have a, you know, nature related question, I like to talk to the experts. So, you know, okay. so she, she's one of the people I talk to. And one of the ideas she had that she uh, allowed me to steal from her uh, mm -hmm. was, you know, doing a NYCHA roundtable and okay. doing that on a monthly basis. But here's what's going to be different from the way people have, you know, other people have done it. I do want to mix. 
okay. of, of not only TAs. Now, every TA will have a seat at that table. It will be a very large table in the 6-8, but they will okay. have a seat at the table. But I also want uh, each development to either choose a representative that is not a member of the tenant association. Oh, I want good. regular residents to also participate. And that round table will be with me, not okay. with my staff. My staff will be there, but it will be with me. You got a space for that? I will make space. Well, you know what? We have... We, we, it's we 18, have, 20... We have, we have community spaces. We can gotcha. do... Ideally, I would love to host every month in a different development. Okay. You know, so that way we can take a walk and make that part of it, and everyone gets to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sounds nice. And that's actually something that I've been doing now as I, as I go through each development and I talk to people. I'm like, walk with me. Show mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Because I can walk and I'll have my, my lens, but I don't live here. I don't live right. here every day. I want to know, you know, what's going on. I want to know who's having what problems. Uh, this happened to us, um, you know, we were in Lexington Houses uh, last Monday knocking on doors. We knocked on a, a you know, on a uh, resident's door, and they invited me in their home. They showed me the hole that's in their yep, bathroom. Yep, yeah. yep. And I'm like, okay, let's do something about this. Let's get on the call. And I worked with that TA leader. You know, she made her calls. I made my calls on the back end, and I I, I owe her a phone call tomorrow. Christina, to, to, yes. to, to follow yeah. up and see. All right, did they show up when they said they were going to show up? Did they do what they were going to yep, do? Yep, and yep, that's yep, the level yep. of you know involvement that I want to have. I'm that's not gonna, good. I'm not one of these people that likes to build uh, fences around me. You're going to be able to hold me accountable. You're going to awesome. know where I am. You know, and you're going to be able to call me. I give everyone my cell phone number. Uh, for those of you that are listening, it's seven one eight. Or two seven one one three two. Whoa! Okay. Whoa! Okay. Y'all heard that? Seven one eight four two seven one one three two. Okay. Get that number because I want people to be able to reach me. And if I don't pick up, send me a text message. I will call you back. That's the level of you know transparency. And that's the level of work I want to do. And I had to double check, make sure he was giving y'all a uh, <laughs> not a number that I have. So I have this number. So if I have this number and he is giving this out, he is really the real deal. Because yeah, I don't feel that special no more. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I, 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 I learned that trick That's from, awesome. from Gail Brewer. Gail, mm-hmm. Gail Brewer gives everyone her cell phone mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. And I thought she just had like a Google Voice number. Mm-hmm. No, that's her real yeah. cell phone number. Yeah. So. Mailbox full. That's good. That's Good. So, how do people uh, find out about your campaign? How do they donate? What's your website information? How do they get involved? Volunteer? Last question. Yep. So, Lopez 4NY. So, it's www.lopez 4NY. That's also my Facebook, uh, my Instagram, and my Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you can go on the website. The website, tomorrow we're launching our policy platform. So, be on the lookout for that. We are tackling some big issues on the policy platform. I was going to release it last week, but I want to make sure I got a chance to, to do this uh, podcast with oh, you, um, before you. releasing it so that way you can you can you know you can take a look at where I stand on things um, that's the website you can donate there um, again uh, my campaign is being run by grassroots donations you know the, our average donations are you know under you know 50 bucks and okay. the reason why is because this community people just giving you know what five, they can bucks what they can and that's the only way I you know I want to do it um, you know, you can follow me on social media, you can tag me, you can, you know, shoot out a question. I'm also releasing in the next couple of days, a new platform called Rept, where you'll be able to submit questions that you want answers. And every Thursday night, I will answer those questions by video. Um, so that you will have those answers wow. straight from my mouth. And that's, um, wow. that's different. Okay. You got definitely, um, 
So innovative. Um, can, it's, been it's a, not it's, planned. Yeah, it's innovative campaign. Not planned. It's definitely innovative. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell your wife hello. I do know you all, so greetings to her. Um, thank you for coming on our one night to show. Um, please go into the chat. Maybe might be some questions for you to answer. And please share the show. And um, once the YouTube version is ready, I'll send it to you directly as well. Yeah, we'll put it um, on the website. Okay. Uh, so we oh, there. nice. Okay. Um, and I kind of thank you enough and you know everyone who's involved with this podcast because the reality is that you're one of the few voices that is you know shouting from the rooftop and basically mm. delivering the message um and you're delivering for a large constituency that unfortunately continues to be underserved and unheard. Yes. Yeah. so thank you very much for the work you do you're truly doing god's work wow thank well, you on a sunday we originally started on a saturday right. remember right. and because of me we wound up switching to sundays so for whatever reason and we it had is, and it is god's work yes sure. it is yes it is so um any final words from you guys Money, mike what you got to say you've been quiet over there and also he that. actually has he's part of that. the ravenswood mm -hmm. community land Fuck. trust okay. yeah so he sees mike is doing that kind of work in ravenswood right now oh, along with uh, lorenzo and some of the other guys I right, think right. Um, to be honest he was saying a lot of imperative information. I didn't want to <laughs> sit there and prolong the show. Okay. But I got one question I want to ask okay. you. Okay, last up. question. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to know your opinion on life without the eligibility of parole. How can someone be rehabilitated if they don't ever make it home? So I will tell you from personal experience working in the criminal legal system that when you have no possibility of ever getting out, it makes you lose hope and it makes you do things that you normally wouldn't do. Like a lot of times um, when you see people who are you know, being sent to prison, the most dangerous people there are the people who have no chance getting out. Mm. That is a disservice. Yeah. Um, and it's an injustice and it's downright unconstitutional. You know, we do have a constitutional amendment that literally addresses this, the Eighth Amendment. Um, life without the possibility of parole you know, is something that should not be part of the legal, the legal system here in, in this country. We are the land of the free and home of the brave. Mm -hmm. And everyone deserves an opportunity to be rehabilitated. Yeah. It may take 10 years. It may take 20 years. It may take five years. It may take one year. Mm -hmm. The reality is that everyone deserves that opportunity, um, especially when we're talking about you know, individuals and people living in our communities. You know, black, you know, black and brown people, are criminalized from a very young age. Mm -hmm. Our poverty is, is criminalized. We are pushed into the system right from school. So yeah. what, what chance do we have to truly rehabilitate if we're not given an opportunity to rehabilitate? Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I, this is something that is near and dear to my heart and something that I continue to advocate for. We absolutely need a more fair, actual fair criminal legal system because right now there's no justice, there's no fairness. All right. And We're going to close on that note. And um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, tune in to us. Uh, we're back next week. We have a guest next week, uh, Renee from the Resident Leadership Academy, one of my colleagues in our um, course that we're taking, uh, which is for public housing residents, a CUNY. The CUNY program is a scholarship program, so Renee will be coming on. Um, one Night to One People, we're going to lift off and um, click and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You want to say it? Everybody, make sure y'all click to the YouTube channel. Subscribe, One Night to TV. 
And it's not the number, it's the O N E. Please. <laughs> okay. One night to TV. We're about to live off. One night to one, one people. Woo! <laughs> good show. Good show, good show. Good show. Hey, 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 hey.